Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway as we broadcast live in New York City. Live from Fox, inside the Brian Kilmeade Studios. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. A great show planned. Clay Travis will be in studio with us a little bit later this afternoon. Todd Furman will lead things off on our guest list today in 20 minutes. We'll hit the big lines from Las Vegas and we'll preview the upcoming Elite Eight matchups that we know about based on last night's surprise results. Also looking forward to uh, chatting with Coach Scott Spinelli. He will join us in hour number three. We'll dive into the matchups for tonight's Sweet 16 games. Chad, we were... It was cool. Last night, you, me, and Clay all went to the Garden for the first time. I was stunned that Clay had not been there. Yeah. Uh, you and I have always had it as a bucket list moment to go see a game there. We saw two good games, uh, especially the overtime performance by Kansas State beating Michigan State to advance to the Elite Eight to face Florida Atlantic yeah. as they knock off the Tennessee Volunteers. Florida Atlantic was 33-3 and in their regular season. Three losses on the season. And look, I mean, this is – no longer a Cinderella team. I mean, they're they're legit. Uh, I think Tennessee squandered a great opportunity last night in that game by going on one of their patented droughts we've yeah. seen throughout the year. Uh, they're up six with 12 minutes left in the game, and then they basically stop scoring at that point, and it's all FAU from that point on. First game was a classic between Michigan State and Kansas State. Marquise Noel. The city kid come home. Yeah, from Harlem. 19 assists, an NCAA tournament record last night in the Garden. Garden experience was uh, tremendous. The walk up, uh, there's a lot of construction going on around it and the streets around it. But the walk up, you walk in, I I felt like we were going up forever, (laughs) right? Like, you know, they have the the subway station that lets you off right there in the building or right next to it. We weren't in that, but walking up, like, man. This is really quite the buildup as you walk up to the arena, uh, walk by Vol legend Chris Lofton, who was standing there waiting on someone, said hello to him, and walk past, and then you get in the concourses, and you, you feel the history of that place when oh, you sit sure. down and look up at that ceiling you know, that you watch with the Knicks-Bulls games of the 90s that you've seen with so many big sporting events over the years. That, to me, was what really stuck about I found myself looking up a lot at that ceiling at Madison Square Garden. Really yeah, fun night, the, and uh, glad we got to experience it, regardless if uh, Tennessee won or well, lost. It was fun to be there. All of the classic performances in that building, and last night, Marquise Noel had one of his own. 20 points, you mentioned 19 assists, a new NCAA record, and five steals in this game. Total domination, and even had the play of the tournament thus far with the alley-oop, where it's – he and Tang that seemed to be having uh, a, a, an argument of sorts, like confusion on what the play call is going to be. And then the no-look oop uh, to Johnson for a, the two-point lead in overtime with about a minute left. That, to me, is the play of the tournament thus far. It was incredible. He's like Maximus in Gladiator. He's not just winning, I mean, but he's winning with style. I mean, some of the plays that we've seen, going back to that Kentucky game, he had a no-look alley-oop. And, and a couple other no look passes and last night that was he did it terrific. on a bad ankle as yeah. well. It's been it's half. been a fun uh, story. What what a crazy you know tomorrow here in New York City where we are. It's going to be Kansas State and FAU for the East Regional. And when that East Regional came out, the, the, I mean, look how stacked this region is. Right when you went down the list, and the last two teams standing is a number nine seed and the number three seed going head to head at the Garden. Florida Atlantic, you mentioned they're they're legit. Uh, they are very poised. 
That's what I took away in the second half last night against Tennessee. They were up, and they felt like they, they should be winning that game. Even late in the game, when they're up, what, 10, 7 to 10 points, they never took their, their foot off the gas in that. And I, I thought that was more of a, a mature team than what I was expecting from the Owls, given the fact that they're on center stage really for the first time in, in that regard. And hats off. I mean, they, they are the story of the tournament. It can continue as well tonight with Princeton as they'll take on Creighton. Yeah, look, I'm I, I watching FAU last night. I kind of had the same takeaway. I'm thinking, this is – they look every bit the part. Like, this doesn't look yeah. like some plucky mid-major. You know, you think back to the last Conference USA team to advance this far. It was Memphis when they were in Conference USA in 2008 that went all the way to the national championship game. And I'm getting some of those vibes from this yeah. FAU team. that They've got good experience. They get to the rack. When Tennessee started slipping last night, it wasn't just shots not falling – they were allowing FAU to score layups on them and drive right past them to the basket, which was a big problem. But that's what FAU has done to everyone. And here's the scary part about this team. They still haven't shot a great percentage from three. Right. 37% of their points come behind the three-point line, and they have not been red hot yet in this tournament, and they still keep finding ways to win. They did it against Memphis. They did it against Fairleigh Dickinson. And they do it last night in a game where Tennessee's up 39-33 with a little over 12 minutes left, and it just completely slipped away from the Vols from that point forward. Chad, another takeaway from the tournament thus far, and we, we hear it every year, you win with guard play. And as you look at the teams remaining, no Big Ten teams are headed to the Elite Eight from this tournament. And for the most part, the Big Ten has played through the post. Mm -hmm. And look at who's making the the – all the highlight reel plays and the winning plays when it matters, guard play. Uh, of course, last night with Noel. But on the flip side of that, Gonzaga just puts up points and you have to run with them. And then you have Drew Timmy who went for 36. He had, uh, what, yeah, 36 points, 15 rebounds, four or five blocks in this game as well. Uh, or, excuse me, assists. He was excellent in the, the rematch between Gonzaga and UCLA. That was another classic. And what a three at the very end, and then you get the steal at the end to seal it for Gonzaga. They're, yeah. they're moving on. This is their fifth Elite Eight since 2015. What was it Dane Bradshaw told us yesterday on the show? I will take the best point guard in the game every time in a draft, if you're talking about sure. tournament play, uh, and really just in basketball in general. I, I want the best point guard before the best big man or anyone else in the court. You're seeing that with K-State. The guard play for Gonzaga is the big question mark for the Bulldogs this year, but Drew Timmy may be enough to get them to a Final Four, get them to maybe a national championship game. Could be a matchup with Alabama if they get there. The teams I've watched so far in this tournament, there, there's a lot of good stories, and everyone that's still playing is good. If you make it to the Sweet 16, you're good. When you make it to the Elite Eight, certainly you're really good. So there's no bad teams remaining. But I love Gonzaga. I love K-State. If, if, if I'm kind of falling in love with a certain group or a team – it's more K-State than Gonzaga, but I, I love this K-State team and what I'm seeing. I'm rooting for them the rest of the way now. And they've got a chance again tomorrow at Madison Square Garden. They beat FAU. They're headed to the Final Four. And they're a great example of what the transfer portal can do now in college basketball specifically where they're picked last in the Big 12. And Jerome Tang has taken that team through the transfer portal 
and has produced an Elite Eight performance where they, if they beat FAU, they're headed to the Final Four to take on most likely Alabama, who will play tonight. How about you? Jerome Tang's about to get paid, by the way. Oh, um, yes. I, I don't think there's any doubt. He, he had to wait a long time to get his head coaching opportunity where he was at Baylor as, as an assistant, and he has made the most of it. And this is a one-year performance that will get him a contract extension and a bump in pay. I'm not saying he's leaving or considering leaving, but – K-State will reward him with higher and, pay. Yeah, and then the thing about him, he, he's coached this team to where they're not just streaky, right? Yeah. A lot of the teams playing last night that lost, Arkansas and Tennessee specifically, they go on streaks, hot yep. and cold. UConn, by the way, what a dominant performance against the Razorbacks where the Huskies had, you know, they, they, were, they had to leave their hotel because of, like, trash on the floor, vomit on the floor where, you know, you had the, the, the party – in Vegas, when they checked in, they were like, we can't stay in these rooms. And then during the shoot-around, someone got on their bus and stole a bunch of uh, equipment, like, uh, iPads, laptops. So they've had uh, an awful experience at the Sweet 16, except for that performance last night where they lead wire to wire, and they win it in blowout fashion, 88-65. Someone stole from them, so they responded by stealing the hearts of oh, Arkansas players souls. last night. That was a quick uh, dispatching of the, the Hogs last night. That, that game was down. over quickly. It was a blowout at halftime, and it never was close. UConn has impressed me. I love their depth. I love how they hit the offensive glass. You saw that last night in that blowout win. They are a team to reckon with. Yes, and what do you make of tonight's matchups? I think we're overlooking – uh, a Creighton team to this point as they take on Princeton. The winner, of course, moves on to take on Alabama or San Diego State. We get Bama first as they'll tip off at 6.30 in Louisville. Trey Wallace is there on behalf of Outkick.com. You can uh, find his great coverage right now from Louisville as the Crimson Tide look to move on. Princeton and Creighton will follow at 9 o'clock. And we have the other games, Chad. Miami and Houston is going to be fun. That is going to be up and down play. Seven fifteen tip from Kansas City. The other game there, Xavier and Texas. Two great performances uh, expected there in those games in Kansas City compared to what we will likely see in Louisville. Last night gave us some close games. Those were the closer lines going into last yeah, night yeah. with all of them. I think Tennessee was the biggest favorite. And they closed as a four-and-a-half or five-point favorite in the game, so a narrow favorite. I am surprised. We'll get to our bet-the-board picks later for tonight. I'm shocked that Houston is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite over Miami. I I jumped all over the Hurricanes on that. Now that I'm saying that into a microphone, Miami's probably going to get blown out by Houston. But I I love the points there with Miami and the way they're playing. And It's tough to Houston's Houston's not a blow-you-out type team either. I, I think this is a close, great game tonight between those two. And don't you – I think it's it's tough not to take the points with Princeton. Getting ten and a half. Yeah, that's another one that I, I would take the points on. Yeah, and we I, don't want to spoil our bet the board picks no. too early, but that that's one that I like also. Um, Chad Nick Saban claims that he didn't listen to the press conference of Nate Oates when he in the opening presser for his spring practice um, said that he, there is no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. And of course, that stirred the pot on what Nate Oates had said about Brandon Miller and wrong place, wrong time at the scene in Tuscaloosa where a 23-year-old single mother was murdered. And I, I, I laugh because this wasn't even a presser. 
where Oates, Oates is responding as he's leaving the practice. And it's the quotes that everyone was reading, not the presser. Saban's like, I've never watched a basketball press conference, ever. And that well may be true, but he certainly saw those quotes prior to giving that answer as to why he was suspending one of his players. And literally a week earlier, we had the comments from Nate Oates saying that Miller was just wrong place, wrong time. Well, I laughed. I don't don't know why he has to say that. I laugh because, you know, this prompted Nate Oates to go in and confess his love for Nick Saban. And, you know, I just admire Coach so much, and I study everything he does and just worship the ground he walks on, and like everyone does with Nick Saban. And then Saban's response is, I've never watched a basketball press conference. I'm thinking, well, I guess the admiration's not mutual when it comes to that. If you're studying him and know what's going on, and, and Nick Saban's response is, I've never seen a basketball press conference. Look, they can say whatever they want, and maybe they're telling the truth. Nick Saban also once claimed he did not know a presidential election was happening because they were practicing, because the season was going on or something was happening, right, that he didn't even know. And I, I highly doubt that's even possible, that he didn't know an election was happening when, when he said he didn't. So I, I don't necessarily buy it. I think it seeped in there somewhere. Maybe he didn't even see the press conference, but he's aware of the quote. No doubt. That's out there. And even if he didn't go in saying, I'm going to write this out to counter what Nate Oates said, somewhere in his lexicon that slipped in when you go, there's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. Everyone can believe what they want on it. That's what I believe. I don't think it's some huge thing that would ever divide the athletic department or anything, but Nick Saban knows what he's saying when he says that. And oh, by the way, Nate Oates had to apologize no, yeah. for saying and, that. And, and, so, he, and he agreed that he should not have said what he said in that manner and how it came across. But this, it, it is overblown to this point. It's not, it's not Stoops and Calipari at Kentucky. No. Right? Like, no, no, not at that's all. That's the difference here between Oates and Saban. And Saban says, like, I don't make comments about anybody else. It had nothing to do with another program. I was simply uh, strictly talking about our program and what we do. But it was also the athletic department. And, again, Saban knew exactly what he was saying. It's not like he doesn't know what's going on at Alabama at all times. Ask yourself, do you think Nick Saban is the type of guy who's going to make a ton of mistakes with things that he says? When he goes in front of the media, he is prepared, especially when it is his spring practice press conference. Mm -hmm. And he comes in with notes on what he wants to talk about with Tony Mitchell and the indefinite suspension. So he knew exactly what he was saying. You can choose to hear this information and take it as well. Chad's saying that the whole you know, university is going to fall apart because Nick Saban took a shot at NATO's. I'm not saying that. The university has their own issues with the way they've handled this, and we've talked about that a lot on this show. It's been terrible mm-hmm. the way they've handled this whole situation. Um, I think most sane people would probably recognize that, that they've mishandled this. But here you have Alabama playing tonight, huge favorite, and still our picks to go to the Final Four and win it. As far as odds to win the national championship, Alabama's at the top. Todd Furman joins us when we return, and with the Bet the Board podcast, he'll tell us who's most likely to knock Bama off the perch and why. Plus, we'll preview tonight's matchups in the Sweet 16, and we'll look ahead to tomorrow's Elite Eight tip-offs. Todd Furman next on OutKick 360.
Glad you're with us for Outkick 360, live in New York. And Clay Travis will join us here at Fox, coming up in about 40 minutes or so. Looking forward to Clay joining us live in studio. Todd Furman joins us now. Bet the Board podcast is where you can find him and his, his great analysis of all the lines and all of the trends of the NCAA tournament. Todd, always great to have you back on, man. We appreciate you. How are you? Hey, th- thank you guys for having me on. But more importantly here, gentlemen, I've been told by Clay himself that Outkick is very much the apple of Fox's eye. Did they put you guys in a basement conference room or what do we have going on here for this kind of setup where you guys are in New York City? we're in the same room that Milton was in an office space when he got put in storage <laughs> C or wherever it was, where he was looking I, for I a was stapler. Say, I think Chad, we're in the I, I exact see, same room. I don't see a stapler anywhere on the desk. I'm looking around here. I know zoom doesn't show all. So at least they've kept the sharp objects away from the two of you guys. We can, we can probably find one Todd, but to be honest, we're actually in Brian Kilmeade's radio studio. So uh, we're the ones who don't belong here today. Yeah. Looking out, like we're looking at, at, Corey and our guy Chris in here, and we've got TV monitors. We turn the camera around, you'd be like, man, you're like in a space shuttle (laughs) when you look around. Like It does look more impressive in front of us, but it also looks like storage room C behind us. So I I, I get what you're throwing at us. It's all right. It's not about the aesthetics. It's about the caliber of content that you boys deliver every day at this time. I mean, you look great, Todd. Yeah, your, your setup always. behind you is just top notch. Like, yeah, I, I love when you have the Zoom setup where I try to like read what's in the the pictures behind you and see what autographs are there, what the photos are. That's that you're hitting all the notes with your backdrop. Well, that was the whole thing. I'm trying to figure out. I forget it's a little bit of a wider lens on Zoom, so I have to move things around, make sure there's no personal information there. I got to turn the FedEx envelopes around. I mean, I can't have people knowing the exact address, knowing exactly how many dollar bills are flowing through this office. So we keep it all above board. Like we say, business from the waist up, what goes down out of the purview of the viewers out there. They can't see (laughs) what kind of nefarious activities are taking place. Todd Furman with us. Bet the Board Pod is where you can find his analysis on the spreads right now for the Sweet 16. Todd, which game tonight and the line interest you the most? Um, Because we're seeing last night the spread's very tight, and tonight – we're seeing some discrepancy between opponents. Yeah, we talk all the time. I mean, the deeper you get into the NCAA tournament, the numbers get more and more efficient. I think the most compelling storyline that's brewing for me is seeing the tremendous amount of public support for a team like Princeton. I mean, you could ask the common man on the street. They couldn't tell you where Princeton was even located yet with two Cinderella victories, the upset of Arizona, and of course the outright win against Missouri in the round of 32, suddenly they've become the bell of the ball. And they're seeing north of 70% of the tickets at a lot of the books out here that cater more to recreational betters. Now, when you look at the number here, Creighton at nine and a half, 10, not exactly stealing anything, but I think Creighton's style of play is going to cause some problems for the Tigers. They can space the floor offensively. They can be extremely patient. And the one thing we've seen from this edition of the Blue Jays that we hadn't grown accustomed to in the past from Greg McDermott is the fact that they can lock you down defensively as well. I mean, this is a top 20 team on the offensive end as far as efficiency is concerned. They're top 20 defensively. Uh, I think Creighton can put a hurting on Princeton, but this number, you're not stealing anything. So for me, I want to go after the first half total in this game and look to go under because I think Creighton is more than comfortable taking long, drawn-out possessions if Princeton's going to defend tenaciously. And when you look at the Tigers, they're outside the top 250 in terms of average offensive possession. That's against Ivy League opponents. They're going to have to work that much harder against the foe from the Big East to generate good looks. So I'll go under the total in the first half between Princeton and Creighton as probably the best bet on the card for me tonight. 
Todd, we got into this discussion when trying to re-rank the Sweet 16 with the teams. And, and looking at Princeton versus FAU as an example, uh, we saw FAU win last night. They, they've won 35 games or whatever it is this year and only lost three. So trying to compare the hot team with what they are right now versus the full body of work in terms of NCAA tournament prediction with the lines. Because going into it, I'd say, well, FAU is the better team throughout the year, no doubt about it, than Princeton. But Princeton was playing hotter than FAU at the time. So how do you counter that? When you're looking at teams, you say as you get deeper in the tournament, the lines get more efficient. What do you mean by that? And when you're looking at a team, what all are you looking at in terms of what they've done throughout the season and what they've done in the tournament? Uh, For sure. And I think public perception is such a huge component uh, of the way the numbers get set when teams that aren't used to playing on a stage of this magnitude become front and center. And you mentioned FAU yesterday, an impressive comeback in the second half against the Vols for Cinderella to continue moving on. But again, this is a team that college basketball betters have known about for extended periods. And Conference USA as a whole probably undersold as a league. For those folks that aren't paying attention to the NIT, they have two teams headed to Vegas for the final four there with UAB and North Texas, who arguably could have made a deep run in the NCAA tournament if they had favorable matchups and were given an opportunity to sit at the big kids table like a lot of teams from the Big Ten were. So FAU is a team that's not really shocked people. Uh, For me, I was extremely disappointed that I didn't get a chance to see FAU play Purdue because that would have been arguably the biggest bet that I made of the entire tournament as long as FAU was more than a three-point underdog. Unfortunately, Vols fans are all too familiar with some of the shortcomings as they get deep into March. But if FAU were to play Princeton on a neutral floor right now, I mean, you'd be looking at FAU more than a five-point favorite in that spot. And that's adjusting for Princeton's current form. So I think some of what you're seeing here is Princeton as a huge candidate to sell at the top of the market. But odds makers aren't budging on all that public action. They know if they were to drop this number into that nine, eight and a half range, they would be bombarded with money from professional bettors. And that's part of what we've seen early on. This number opened at nine. We're now out to 10. And I would be surprised if this number moved much further than that, just because for every 10 and $15 better you have out there, you're seeing professional support. So I think Creighton can run away and hide in this spot. And it's not a knock on Princeton. This is just a major step up in class against the team that actually runs offense compared to Arizona and Missouri that are a little bit more free-flowing, looking to rely on the perimeter jumper. I heard that little subtle shot at the Big Ten. Do you feel like that conference was overvalued coming into this tournament? You know, growing up in the Chicago suburbs, guys, anytime you go into the postseason tournament and Northwestern is the two seed, it's probably not a ringing endorsement for the Big Ten in general. I mean, Purdue was extremely flawed. They weren't even inside the top 25 coming into the year. And this isn't a knock at what they were able to accomplish. But in this day and age, you can't build a competent college offense around just a big man in Zach Eady. And I think that's what makes Gonzaga so fascinating because you look at how their path to the Elite Eight has come about. It's all about Drew Timmy, but when rubber meets the road, will that be enough? Fortunately for Mark Few and company, they have guards in Rasir Bolton and a player like Julian Strother who hit the big shot with seven seconds to go in the game that can get them over the hump. Purdue didn't have that luxury. And you look at the Big Ten in general. I mean, there was a lot of shaky guard play on a night-in, night-out basis. And I was actually surprised that Michigan State was the team left standing getting into the round of 16. But this is the time of year you have to be able to check all of those boxes. You want to start with an ability to score in clutch situations. You want that guard that can beat his man one-on-one. And you also have to be able to defend in the half court. And it's part of the reason that Arkansas was sent packing last night because they couldn't do either of those things. 
unable to make perimeter jump shots, and you saw the size mismatch down low. Sonogo absolutely feasting at the rim against some of the undersized defenders for that Razorback bunch. Todd Furman, our guest on Outkick 360. Todd, what trends do you follow or ride during the tournament specifically? Is it, do you, are, are there things every year that you're looking for? You know, one of the things that has paid dividends uh, over the last handful of years, and of course, revisionist history is always 2020, is betting against the Mountain West. And San Diego State has provided that lone outlier this year. When you look at the one and done we saw from Nevada, who was boat raced in the first four against Arizona State. We saw Boise State outclassed by Northwestern in their matchup. And you saw a good Missouri team kind of force Utah State out of its comfort zone. But you look at the common denominator here and why San Diego State is still dancing into the second weekend. They haven't had to play a Power 5 conference opponent yet. They got through College of Charleston in improbable fashion in terms of covering the number late with a fall under a second to go. And they were just too big, too strong, and too physical for the SOCON representative in Furman who was making their first tournament appearance since 1980. Now suddenly they meet the big bad bully in Alabama. And when we look at the Mountain West going back to the early 2000s, when they play teams as a conference hailing from a Power 5 league, their sub-30% ATS success rate Pretty eye-opening to me because San Diego State is the team that's built like a group coming from a Power 5 conference, but they don't have a ton of individual shot creators. Matt Bradley's the lone guy, and I wonder in a game like this where Alabama should be able to experience a little bit of positive regression given how poorly they shot the basketball, how this game is going to play out, but you have seen some professional money on the Aztecs. You've seen a little bit of money coming in on that game under the total, and I can understand both angles. But for me, it's buyer beware because you could see a class difference here early on if Brandon Miller is able to regain a shooting stroke, which abandoned him in the first two games for the Tide so far this dance. Gonzaga and UConn play tomorrow for the right to go to the Final Four. Houston uh, certainly still has their their road ahead to get to the Final Four, and Kansas State could match up with Alabama too. Of any possible matchup, Todd, along the way to a championship run, which team would give Alabama, just based on the line, the closest matchup before tip-off? So the only team that I would make Alabama an underdog against that remains in the field would be Houston, and it would be the slimmest of margins in that particular spot. The Cougars, for us, have been our power-rated top team almost all season long. Obviously, when you deal with some injuries, you have to make those adjustments accordingly, but Marcus Sasser appears to be trending in the right direction. We saw what Tremont Mark could do from the outside, kind of carrying them in the second half against Alabama. I mean, he went for 20. Auburn as a team scored 23 points in that game. You look at Jairus Walker, who will be playing at the next level. Where he ends up slotting in the draft remains anybody's best guess. But that's the only team on paper that truly matches up with Alabama from a power rating perspective. Now, if we rub our crystal ball and we assume some of the seeds hold, Creighton and Alabama is going to be a basketball purist dream. Because these are two teams that love to shoot the open jumper. They can defend with top 10 efficiency. And they're coaches who are going to get the most out of the talent they have on their roster. So from an athletic standpoint, Alabama definitely gets the edge. But you can't sleep on a player like Kalk Brenner who had gone for 30 in one of Creighton's game. Ryan Nemhart has really raised his level of play. And that's the one thing in college basketball we get that we don't always see in college football. Because if you lose a game early, heaven forbid you lose two, you don't have a chance to resurrect your season. And this is a Creighton side, came into the year white hot. They went through some ebbs and flows where they really struggled in the middle of the campaign. And a lot of people wrote them off. But as they got healthier, they're reminding us why they were a worthy dark horse to win the national champion. And I'll make the case now, which is going to sound like, well, you know, great. You're not telling us something we don't already know. Grossly underseeded as a six seed. 
But we broke that down on the Bet the Board podcast. We said this team projected a lot more as a three and probably could have been flipped on the seed line with a team like Xavier. So Alabama Creighton, if that's indeed the matchup we get on Sunday, I think will be outstanding. The same way that if Houston and Texas end up doing battle, I mean, what better way than two teams playing in Kansas City for the right to go to Houston to vie for a national championship? I mean, I know it's not what Longhorns fans want to hear, uh, but Houston is essentially emerging as big brother in the state of Texas as it pertains to college basketball under Kelvin Sampson's leadership. Nick in our YouTube chat says Houston was number one in all metrics all season. If their jersey said Gonzaga, they would have been the number one overall seed. It's funny now that Gonzaga is you know the blueprint. <laughs> with, oh, the NCAA will favor them if they were Gonzaga of all teams to throw out there. But here you go talking all great about Houston, Todd, and I feel like that's too many points against Miami tonight and the way they're playing. What, what do you think of that line? I think this game is closer than that, that spread. I mean, look, uh, you're honestly onto something there, Chad. When you look at Miami and what this team is capable of doing, I mean, right off a of Jim Laranaga team in March at your own peril, you look at the way that he's been able to coach numerous programs. George Mason in that improbable Cinderella run of the Final Four. A lot of people, myself included, were a little bit surprised when he decided that he was going to leave Fairfax, Virginia and head down to Coral Gables for a Miami team that you always thought the ceiling was just getting into the NCAA tournament. But what he's been able to do is get guards that buy into the way he wants to play. This is a veteran-laden group. They've performed phenomenally well over the last couple seasons, especially in the underdog role. And in a tournament where guards are always going to be the way that you can win these games, there was no greater illustration than what Miami did, pulling a rabbit out of their hat in their opening round matchup against a very good, very veteran Drake Bulldogs team in terms of going on a 16-1 run to get to this point. Now, against Indiana, look, that was just Indiana being lazy on the defensive end, and I'm not going to discredit for Miami for their win, but they're going to find it a little bit tougher to operate in the half court against Houston here. But with guards that are capable of getting hot, there will be an adjustment period for Houston. I mean, you're going to see a lot of cutting. You're going to see athletes that are capable, if you give them space, knocking down that open jump shot. And for everything I can say about the American Athletic, this could be a little bit of a jolt to the system for a Houston team that, quite frankly, through three halves of basketball, when we look at their opener against Northern Kentucky, you look at the first half against Auburn, which for me was played in a true road environment where they were a little bit lethargic. They've only played one good half of basketball, and it's one of those things. Do you want to look at a glass half empty saying, you know what? If Houston doesn't put together two halves like that, Miami can pull off the outright upset, or is it a glass half full? that we know over the course of a six-game stretch, you can't bring your A game all six games. So the fact Houston is into the Sweet 16 means they have a higher ceiling that they're about to scratch beginning as early as tonight. Todd, we uh, we were having a discussion yesterday. Some, Vegas always knows. And the Warriors earlier this week were a rare road favorite in Dallas. And they win by two. And they get a free bucket based on what Mark Cuban was saying was a, a referee mistake where they were told they were getting the ball. And on the <laughs> other end, the Warriors got a free bucket and they win by two points. Now that play happened in the third quarter, but the two point differential, you can certainly point that way. How does Vegas know that the Warriors who are awful on the road, they're the road favorite that specific night? You know, it's not always about knowing, and trust me, we could do a whole segment going on and on about NBA officiating and the free throw disparity yep. we saw the other night between the Phoenix Suns and the LA Lakers. I tip my hat to anybody who bets the NBA on a night-in, night-out basis during the regular season and truly believes they can quantify their edge without inside information. But refereeing and officiating is such a huge component of knowing what's out there because you're going to look for every incremental edge that's out there. 
As far as trying to set the openers, that's the luxury that books have. Now, granted, they have to hang numbers on everything from Dell match play to college basketball, both the men's and women's tournament this time of year, and sports that you never even think about. But they're going to use some of the sharper, sophisticated betters out there to let them know when they're right with their point spreads and let them know when they're wrong. So if they hang a number and make Golden State a favorite and they immediately take money on the other side in the Dallas Mavericks, they're going to respond strongly and swiftly to those kind of context clues in the betting market. If they're not seeing an appetite for the underdog in that kind of spot, despite Golden State's porous road record, they know they've hung a good number and it should always raise red flags for the recreational better that opens his or her newspaper right after they get out of the office and want a little action on a nationally televised game. Because oftentimes, and it doesn't always come to fruition, that if it looks too good to be true, it's probably something that you need to be cognizant of. And it's part of how this trap line always predominates, especially in the NFL and college football, that you know Vegas knows the outcome before the games are played. Not the case whatsoever. They're just factoring different things into their calculus that the casual fan's not looking at. And a similar thing tonight, when you look at the game, the marquee game of the night between Philadelphia and Golden State, on paper, you would think the 76ers made a ton of sense as a four and a half to five point underdog. But I think this is odds makers creating a little bit of a hybrid number working under the assumption that maybe there's a very real possibility that it's Joel Embiid or James Harden. If one or both miss the game, that they're just hanging it out there. And if someone whose opinion they respect comes in and absolutely smacks the 76ers, they'll start to move that number in their favor. Opening day is almost here, Todd, believe it or not. Major League Baseball season is almost upon us. Is there a maybe not a long shot necessarily, but not a team at the top of the odds right now that you like for a bet for World Series champion? You know, the nice part about the baseball market through the absolute marathon, which probably uh, grates on fans and players alike, is that most books aren't going to move some of these numbers aggressively that fast. So you see the familiar suspects at the top of the odds board in terms of your Yankees, your Astros, your Braves, your Mets, etc., uh, but for me, I don't have anything in terms of World Series futures. There is a division bet that I made, though, and a win total that I've dabbled on. And to be candid, I haven't looked to see how much this number has moved at all. But I went over 81 and a half wins with the Minnesota Twins, a team that grossly underachieved all of last season. and was kind of an afterthought in the American League Central between the Guardians and White Sox. And I also bet the Twins to win the division at a price right around plus 250. I know it's asking a lot for folks to tie up their money for the better part of six months. But I think this is a Twins team that you look at some of the offseason moves they've made, the whole Carlos Correa fiasco, an absolute dumpster fire. But I do think that reinvigorates Correa to go out there and try and perform. Byron Buxton, a player, when he's in the lineup, can be as dynamic as anyone. We know he's not going to play 162 games. You should be thankful if you get 125 out of him. And you look at this starting rotation for the Minnesota Twins. I think one of the more unheralded deals they made to try and bolster that rotation is with Pablo Lopez. So this is a Twins team, I think, that's being disrespected a little bit. I understand why people want to buy into the Guardians when you have a rotation with Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie atop, or they think the change at manager is going to pay dividends for the White Sox. Uh, but I think the Twins will actually be a team to come from off the pace uh, and can surprise some people atop the AL Central. So Minnesota Twins over their win total and Minnesota Twins to win the division. Check out Bet the Board podcast with Todd Furman uh, wherever you download your audio. Todd, um, when is the African Safari? Uh, African Safari is not till early July. I believe the dates are July okay. 6th to the 20th, right after we've been able to put our full college football preseason preview series out for Bet the Board. I got permission from the corporate office to take a few days off. 
Well done. Well done. Um, and I'm, I'm already scared for you, quite frankly, yeah, with uh, everything terrifying. that could go wrong. Uh, oh, you're always great, man. Thank you for the time, and we will follow your advice as usual. We'll tell Clay you said what's hey. up, too. Hey, always a pleasure. And you know what? Make sure uh, I know both of you guys also root for Tennessee. So hopefully you guys can commiserate with one another that a yet another Tennessee Vol season comes to a premature end on the college basketball hardwood. Eventually, they'll find a way to get to the final four, maybe cut down the nets. And unfortunately for you guys, it will not be in calendar year 2023. It'll probably never happen. Uh, but also, Todd, everyone keeps offering their condolences, and my response is, I- I've I've lived through many much more disappointing losses than this. I- I'm okay with this team being in the Sweet 16 without Ziggler and beating Duke. So that not not the worst loss I've seen with Tennessee in the tournament. Let's put it that way. You know, that's the one thing with Ro that you and Clay uh, have built up over the years. It's all that scar tissue that you kind of get numb to these kind of yeah. premature exits. And you'd almost prefer they get absolute boat race instead of taking a 27-22 lead into the half. And then Tennessee's offense rears its ugly head and we're reminded why the Vols could play games in the mid-40s in conference play throughout the year when you don't have that go-to score on a night-in-night-out basis. Up six with 12 minutes left, and then the the, the, the floor fell out from Ooh. under them at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Todd, have a great weekend, man. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. You guys enjoy the games and enjoy your time in the Big Apple. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. One of the best right there. Todd Furman, Bet the Board is the podcast. Uh, Chad, coming up, Jack Swarbrick believes that college sports has reached a breaking point. We'll discuss what the Notre Dame AD had to say and whether or not we're buying it right in the here and now based on what we're seeing in the sports landscape. That's next on Outkick 360. Clay Travis will join us in roughly 10 minutes. As we broadcast from New York, we welcome you back. Outkick 360 rolls on. Hutton Withrow here. Glad you're with us, and you can join Chad in the chat right now. On Chat's YouTube. flowing today. Good chat today. Um, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick and President John Jenkins for Notre Dame, they had a, an op-ed in the New York Times, and they're saying that Sports in college have reached a breaking point. Specifically, they wrote, the nation is now immersed in the thrill of the NCAA basketball tournament, but beyond the excitement, college athletics is in crisis. It faces threats on a number of fronts, the growing patchwork of contradictory and confusing state laws regulating it, the specter of crippling lawsuits, and the profusion of dubious name, image, and likeness deals through which to funnel money to recruits the misguided attempts to classify student-athletes as employees. Underlying all of that is the widespread belief that college athletics is simply a lucrative business disguised as a branch of educational institutions. That from Notre Dame. Um, and they're looking for regulation, of course. Swarbrick says we've, we've got to get on with making some rational decisions on how we enforce some policy and some guidelines with what's going on. Chad, the issue is the NCAA took that big step back two years ago, and since then it's been a free-for-all because of the state laws, and case in point is Texas A&M. They're pointing to the state law more than the guidelines from the new 
in, enforcement from the NCAA. And that, that's the tough part. And until the, the, the conferences and, of course, the independents get together and make their own guidelines, nothing's going to really change across the college landscape. I, I hear what Jack Swarbrick is saying in, in this op-ed, yeah. and I understand that viewpoint from an administrator or anyone that's on the education side of any of this. I, I get all of that, and I understand everything that they're saying. You know, I'll also say when I watch the NCAA tournament, we've talked about this, I don't see anything that is challenging college sports. Just watching the product. Like, this is right. really good. These are guys giving their all in a do-or-die setting. Women's basketball tournament has been good. I mean, it, you watch college sports, and at least from the outside, does not appear to be the, crown, the foundation is cracking beneath it, and it's going to go somewhere, right? I also think that it's, it's probably easy to say there's no big problem if you're one of the schools that benefits from NIL or that you're one of the you, – you root for the school or you went for the school that they've worked the transfer portal well. Yeah. They know what they're doing. There are other programs who are in decline because of all this, and I can understand if you are with that program saying, man, this is not what's good for the sport. This is this is not you know great for what's going on. I I get some of that also, um, but the bottom line is what we've said from the beginning. There, there's got to be an understanding of some sort of rule book. You know, there's rules in professional sports on salaries and the way things are done. Right? There's really just no understanding of what the rules are right now in college sports with NIL, and that's that's got to be figured out. And the NCAA, they're not going to punish the the student athlete, the player. Or the booster. They're only going to go after the university like they did with Miami. And Miami, in that, in that point, what, a month ago, they agreed to whatever the slap-on-the-wrist punishment was. And because of their, their agreement in writing, the NCAA protects itself from a p- potential lawsuit. But they're never going to try to go after possible infractions with this in regards to the player or the money from the outside coming in because they know they're going to lose in court. And that's what they're, you know, I, I would be too if I'm then. They have the, the opinion from the Supreme Court that says, hypothetically, if you were to go down this road and do this, 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 you would also get the same ruling that we've handed down. Well, and it's all such this big effort with every team or collective or athletic administration to not fall behind. You, we, we have to be on the forefront of this. We can't fall behind. But the issue on the flip side of that is the NCAA fell so far behind. Right that now there's no catching up, and they, they have no power because of that. And because they sat on their hands for so long and had all these ridiculous rules that everyone saw that lacked common sense, yeah. they, and they the, just they, sat on it and sat on it and sat on it and sat on it, and they fell so far behind that now you got a situation where NIL, kids transferring, all of that is so far ahead of the NCAA, and they've got their hands in the air saying – Supreme Court or lawmakers, you figure it out. We have no idea. But think about it from the coaches, ADs, administrators. It's not fun right now to be in that profession, specifically in the recruiting end of things. No. With the open portal and, of course, name, image, likeness, where you're constantly battling that between your fund or your collective or a booster from the outside that – was giving money to the university, but now is just giving money to the player. Everyone's trying to balance all of this, and all the while, there's nothing really that the organization, the NCAA, is doing 
to help alleviate some of that pressure and work. It's well, getting worse, not better. I'm reading articles today about you know UCLA and Tennessee and Arkansas and Michigan State. Their season's over, so what to expect next year with the roster? Yeah. And these are the guys coming back, and I'm thinking, how do you know? <laughs> I don't know who's coming back to any team now, right? It's all fair game for everyone. Could be a completely new roster for these teams next year for all we know. Nothing's we, a given. Live at Fox here in New York, Clay Travis joins us in studio when we return. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network.